Thank you all for coming back tonight. It's great to see uh, so many here on a holiday weekend. We appreciate your faithfulness. Hope you got a handout. And as you receive that handout, uh, I have to extend my apologies. I go through many different revisions and reiterations of my handouts. And every once in a while, I have printed off the wrong version. This is an earlier version rather than my final. I didn't realize it until tonight, so I apologize. It's my error, but uh, it's what we have, so that's what I'm going to work with uh, rather than uh, work with the final copy. So please forgive the spelling errors and some of the other errors you're going to find in this uh, for it wasn't my final work, but we will seek to Still use it to the honor and glory of the Lord. Let's uh, pray. Our Father, we come before you and ask for your continued help and strength. Uh, this is a reminder once again of our frailties, our inabilities. Uh, Lord, uh, we have so many limitations. We are thankful that you have none. And Lord, I pray that you would overcome our limitations, overcome our weaknesses, and uh, Lord, that even as the children sang to shine forth, Lord, may your spirit shine forth tonight. May you lead us and direct us. Lord, may you be honored and glorified. May we be enriched as your people and be conformed more and more to the image of the Lord Jesus. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have gathered here tonight. Bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we are in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 and 30, and uh, tonight we consider the transformation that takes place in the words and conversations of the believer. Uh, according to Maxie Dunham in his commentary, uh, one scholar has written, of all deeds, words are the most revealing, the most instantly available, the most freighted with personal significance. The thought that words are deeds is flat, fresh, but not new. In Hebrew thought, word and deed are not distinct from one another. Indeed, word and deed have the same root. To say something was to do something. That is certainly true of God, who merely speaks and things are Accomplished. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, God is often referred to as the Word, Logos. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That the second person of the Trinity is that which is referred to as the Word because uh, Jesus Christ came to declare who God the Father was, to reveal God the Father, for in him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Uh, he showed forth the glory of God. He spoke the truth of God, and he accomplished God's purpose and will. So there is a very close connection between word and deed in an individual's life. The text tonight is Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now I'm going to go off into a, a number of tangents tonight, looking at other portions of Scripture to try to unpack what are some very succinct and uh, pithy statements about God's Word. The first is that we're, we are admonished, don't allow any rotten words to come out of your mouths that will ruin others. Uh, we know the uh, old adage that one rotten apple can spoil the barrel. Uh, it's talking about the corrupting influences that our speech can have on others. It can be ruinous to others. Corrupting talk can refer to that which is unfit, unusable, or bad. It also can mean that which is bad or evil. So there is a spectrum of thought in this particular verse. It's pregnant with a plethora of ideas. Uh, it talks about that which is corrupting, but that corruption can be minor or it can be huge. It can be somewhat insignificant and actually downright tragic. And so we're to avoid all corrupting speech, no matter where it falls upon this particular spectrum. So we begin by looking at this thought that unsuitable words are contagious. Unsuitable words are contagious. Verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, but avoid irreverent babble. Now that might seem somewhat innocuous. Babble is just foolishness. It is that which isn't particularly profitable or useful. But it says, avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. There is the aspect of the effect, the corrupting influence it can have. It will lead people into more and more ungodliness. It is a tendency to snowball, to just continue to grow. And so verse 17 says, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Their talk will spread like gangrene. I, I love the metaphors of the scripture, and if you can just picture uh, an individual uh, in the day and age we have, it's most often associated with diabetes, and if you're familiar with diabetes, what happens is that blood doesn't flow to your extremities the way that it, it once did, and so after a period of time, the nerves are, are destroyed and body uh, fluids are not given to the outward extremities as necessary, and so what happens is diabetics usually start off having problems with their feet, and they, they don't heal well, and uh, you may know of someone who uh, had an infected toe, and that spreads to their foot, and express, spreads to their, their uh, lower extremity, and, and you see a, a lot of individuals that have lost a limb, sometimes just below the hip, because this gangrene has spread as a result of it being 
unchecked and unhealed. This says that that's what unsuitable talk can do. It can spread in the body of Christ so that it not only is going to be damaging to the individual, but it can be damaging to other members in the body of Christ. We can actually participate in other people's downfall. Uh, We can be discouraging. Uh, We can be harmful in our gossip. We can turn people against one another. Uh, We can be murmurers and complainers that cause other people to murmur and complain as well. And so it goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. So here's the problem with false doctrine. And it says they are upsetting the faith of some. They are upsetting the faith of some. God is going to hold us accountable for the things that we say. Now I'm going to work our way through James. I know we're not in James tonight, but uh, James is so rich about the tongue and word, I decided to, to look at James 3 in some detail. God is going to hold us accountable for the things that we say, James 3, 1. Now many of you should be... Now, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. God is going to hold us accountable for what we say, especially when we teach, because the whole point of teaching is to be an influence upon others. It's to be instructive. It's to be helpful. And so the words that we say we are going to hold to, be held to a, a greater accountability. But I would submit to you that there's more in view here than just formal teaching, more than just preaching or teaching a Sunday school class. But it, it is extended because the passage is going to be talking about strife, division, etc., etc. It's going to talk about those that have a spirit of being a know-it-all. People who are Quick to teach, quick to instruct, quick to rebuke, quick to give advice. Well, they're going to be held accountable for the things that they're saying, the advice that they're giving, the the counsel that they are prescribing. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, brings it home in a very powerful way. It says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Now we've moved away from teachers to just people in general are going to have to give account for every careless word they speak. The idea of careless is without thought. Without thought. Thoughtless words. Words that we glibly say without reflecting upon the hurt or the harm that they can do. To just talk off the top of our heads. And the word talks about the the fool who, who the arrows are just shot 
at random. And it has to do with our words. They're like arrows that go out. So we are going to have to give account for every thoughtless word that we speak. See, it requires a great deal of spiritual maturity to speak appropriately. For we stumble, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That doesn't mean he's sinless. It means he's complete. It means he's got his act together, or she has her act together. It means that we have a good grasp of the whole counsel of God when we are able to speak appropriately, speak what is true, speak what is helpful, to speak what is useful. You want to measure spiritual maturity in the scripture? It's to be measured by one's speech. What do they talk about? How do they talk? What is the effect of their speech? What kind of influence are they having upon others by simply being around them and talking with them? D, words can seem insignificant, but they result in a great good or great harm. James 3.3 says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us when we guide their whole bodies as well, look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so in verse 5, the issue is not good or bad, but rather simply that it can do great things. It can do great good, or our speech can do great harm. So obviously we want to do great good as opposed to doing great harm. But I would submit to you that there is an adage that I grew up with that my mother was uh, bringing to my attention as a a child repeatedly, and uh, perhaps you have heard it, sticks and stones may break my bones. How many people know that one? Okay, Sticks and stones can break my bones, How's it finished? But words can never hurt me. That's one of the most unbiblical thoughts that there is. That sticks and stones, they they can do damage. (laughs) But words can't affect us. They roll off our backs like water off a duck. Well, James tells us that that's not true. That's not true. Our words can be damaging to others, or they can be extremely helpful to others. E, unprofitable words can spread like wildfire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. And I would submit to you that that is more than just the individual body, but 
the body of believers. It can stain the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. The idea is this, this little, little word is like an ember coming from the very pit of hell. And this little ember can erupt into a flame that can result in a tremendous forest fire. When uh, I was a kid, there used to be a Smokey the Bear commercial. And uh, in this Smokey the Bear commercial about preventing wildfires, as the uh, commercial unfolded, it, it showed a gentleman that was driving down the road and he was smoking a cigarette. And uh, as he drove along, the cigarette was getting small and he just flicked it out of the car window into some brush. Just, just the butt of a cigarette. And it, the camera panned back to the man and then it back to the brush and just a little bit of smoke starting to curl up from just this one little spot where there was a, a butt of a cigarette and then back to the man and then back and now there's a flame and back to the man and now there is Smokey the Bear standing in the midst of a devastated forest in ruins, in ashes with a tear coming down Smokey the Bear's face saying, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, if you can think of that analogy and recognize what gossip can do in a church, what irresponsible talk can do, how it can be repeated from individual to an individual that corrupts, that fosters, that grows until the point where it actually produces great, great ruin. That's how devastating the scripture says that, that words that are corrupting can be. We also find out that the tongue cannot be controlled by sheer willpower. In James chapter 3, verse 7, it says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. So if, if you look at different animals, they can be trained, um, obviously dogs and horses, but even tigers and bears, even elephants can be put into a circus routine. Even reptiles, even sea creatures, even dolphins, you know, and, and they can put on a dolphin show and go through the hoops. And we can see snakes that are charmed we can see that almost any particular kind of animal can be tamed by mankind. But it says in verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. That's why it's such a mark of spirituality. For if our tongues are going to be controlled, it's going to be a result of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. It's going to be a result of the meditation upon the word of God. It's going to be a result of prayer. It's going to be a result of spiritual maturity. So we find in Psalm 39 the testimony of David in which he says, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. 
I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Again, this incredible metaphor, this word picture. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So here is the psalmist saying, I am just going to put a muzzle on my mouth. You all know what a, a muzzle is that uh, is put on a, a, a dog, an animal, so that he can't open his mouth so that the dog won't bite. So that what the psalmist is saying is, I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. If I don't say anything, then I can't say anything wrong. If I don't open my mouth, then I can't speak that which is not true, nor will I have to regret the things that I say. So Psalm 39, verse 2, I was mute and silent. Didn't say a word. Then it goes on to say, I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. I mused. He thought. He reflected. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Can't you identify with that? Aren't there times in your own life when you have said, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let this go. Maybe you're thinking about a loved one. Maybe you're thinking of a, a get-together and you're going to be with someone and they have a, 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 an ability to push your buttons or there is just something going on and you say to yourself, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to sit there in silence and I'm going to take it all in and I'm going to be good. And then the conversation starts going on around you. And before you know it, sure enough, you've opened your mouth and said something that later you regret. It's more than sheer willpower. It can't even be accomplished by simply saying, I'm not going to say anything. If you can't say anything good, then don't say anything at all. That's another old adage. Well, doesn't always work that way. Why not? Well, our speech should not contain both bad and good language or good words. James 3, 9 and 10. With it, that is with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not so to be. Uh, we should not speak that which is beneficial at the same time that we're speaking things that are harmful. H, what one says is reflective of what one thinks and desires. James 3, 11 through 13. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So it shows a heart of wisdom and meekness and grace when we speak kind and gracious and helpful words. It reveals a heart of judgment 
of jealousy, of perhaps anger, when we speak those things that are harmful. So Matthew 12, verse 34, the words of, uh, is, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The things that we are meditating on, the things that we are thinking on, is going to be revealed in what we say. So sinful desires result in sinful speech. James 3, 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So bitterness and jealousy and self-ambition can result in boasting. It can result in pride. It can be result in trying to elevate ourselves because we want to be better thought of. James 3.15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. This is not the way in which God's word teaches us to get ahead. This is the way in which the world teaches us to get ahead. This is not how we are to conduct ourselves. This is what the world says. So the world teaches us that we must stand up for ourselves. Don't let people walk over you. Don't listen to that garbage about being meek and humble. You have to assert your rights. For if you don't, you are going to be misused. You're going to be abused. People are going to take advantage of you. You better carve out your ground and fight for that which is important to you. Again, in quite the contradiction of what the world, the word says. There is a godly wisdom and there is a worldly wisdom that really impacts not only our thoughts, but our speech. Good desires result in uh, good speech, verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What wonderful attributes, peaceable. Do our words stir up strife and unrest or do our words produce peace among others? Are we of such an influence that we put out fires or we stir fires up so that they're just raging more and more. What does our speech do when we listen to people who are angry or resentful or unsettled? Do we stir the fire? Or do we seek to quench it? Are we peaceable? Are we gentle as opposed 
so harsh. Open to reason. Willing to listen. Willing to give other people the benefit of the doubt. Put it another way, the scripture says, only a fool speaks before it hears a matter. <laughs> to speak before we know all the facts. To be quick to judge and quick to make an assessment. Full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So instead, number two, the words that come out of our mouth should be helpful to others. Instead of tearing others down, we should be building them up. Ephesians 4.29 Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up. Building up to, to cause people to stand and to grow in their relationship to Jesus Christ. And so B, we need to exercise wisdom and discretion in what we say. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is good for building us up, as fits the occasion. As fits the occasion. Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Romans 12 verse 15 teaches us that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. That's part of this speaking things that fit the occasion of understanding people's circumstances and situations. Understanding their particular sorrows and hurts or their joys and their delight. There are a lot of things to rejoice in. Sometimes when people acquire something that they, they are excited about, a house, a car, they have a promotion at work, these are times to rejoice. They're festive. They're times to joke and to make light and just to be happy. Then there are times in which people are tremendously sorrow. They're out of work. They just heard that they have cancer. They've lost a loved one. They're not in a joking mood. They don't want to talk about the Phillies. Their hearts are heavy. And so we need to have the proper response to people in whatever situation that they are in. Again, it requires a great deal of wisdom. Even in speaking the truth. Even in speaking the truth. For we find of the Lord Jesus that he was fulfilled with grace and truth. We can speak the truth in a gracious manner sensitive to the position and situation that a person is in, we can choose our words wisely. 
See, God dispenses his grace through our words. Ephesians 4.21, let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but only such as good for building up for as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That it may give grace to those that hear. As you reflect upon that, it's talking about God's grace being imparted to others by what they hear. By what they hear. I just was having a conversation with someone tonight before the service, and we were talking about about preaching and its value and how in our society it's being devalued. It's being seen as unimportant, for it is mere words. And what is really significant are deeds, actions. And I'm sure you've heard it said often that actions speak louder than words. And yet this passage talks about grace being imparted by what people hear. You see, that is what makes preaching effectual. The hope is that through what is said will actually be an instrument of God imparting his grace to others. Comfort, peace, encouragement, conviction, All of this can be brought about through words if the Spirit of God is in it. And we are taught in the Bible that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And yet we live in a day and age that talks more and more and more about the fact if evangelism is going to be effectual, then you better carry a pie across the street to your neighbor and let them see the love of God in you. Now, I'm not against carrying pies across the street, but I am against giving up on the fact that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God's word brings faith. God's word brings repentance. Words are not cheap as far as the word of God has to say. So words are tremendously, tremendously important and can be conveyors of God's grace. But don't limit it to preaching. Don't limit it to preaching. When someone is suffering, hurting, the words that you communicate, just the thought that I'm thinking about you, and you make that audible, you just don't think about it, you let them know. That card you send, that prayer you offer in their presence, that word of encouragement that says you 
always been such an example to me. And I just want to thank you for, for that example for so many years. Words can impart God's grace. What an opposite of James that talks about a fire from hell or grace from God. That's how different the spectrum can be of our speech. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, this is a, a story that is told by Maxie Dunham in his commentary. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had discovered this, and he witnessed to it in the Flossenburg prison during World War II where he had been condemned to die. He walked the narrow corridors, visiting the cells, speaking to prisoners and encouraged them, laughing and joking with them, reminiscing with them and praying with them. His words were his primary means of ministry. Still, his words were deeds. He wrote, God has put his word into our mouths in order that he might be communicated to others. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs that friend again and again and again, end quote. We need each other. We need each other. And the words we say to each other can leave us devastated or elated. We can leave one another's presence either discouraged or encouraged and rejoicing. We can leave either grumbling and complaining or thanking and praising God for his goodness and his grace. Another quote. There may be such a thing as small talk, but even small talk is powerful in the result it may have in some lives. Persons who are hurting, crying out for hope, famishing for some word of affirmation and encouragement, may go from us still crying in their pain and starving in their hunger because we have given them small talk when we could have imparted grace by our words. Talk is not cheap. Words are powerful. Again, from the very same commentary. Lastly, number three, we must be careful that our words do not hinder the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and the lives of others. The Holy Spirit is saddened when our words undermine his work. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In the book of Thessalonians, it says we should not quench the Spirit. It's like pouring water on a fire where the fire is a good thing and quenching it is putting it out. We can hinder the Spirit of God's work. All of Ephesians keeps building upon each other. And so we're going to get to the, the passage. I love the passage. It says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, make melody in your hearts to the Lord. That's good speech. That's a result of being filled with the Spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit. But this corrupting speech hinders 
God's work in our lives and the lives of others. B, the Holy Spirit has been given for our benefit and the benefit of others. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit will speak of and glorify Jesus. In John chapter 16, verse 13, when Jesus speaks of the coming of the Holy Spirit, he says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare it to you, the things that are to come. He will glorify me, or he will take what is mine and declare it to you. We find from the example of the Holy Spirit that the most beneficial and helpful things we can say to one another is communicating the truth about the Lord Jesus, about what he's done, about his forgiveness, about his acceptance, even as we spoke this morning of how sin can be removed, how consequences can be changed of things that we have done. We have an incredible message of hope and comfort of how to be right with God, how to deal with anxiety and fear and anguish, how to bring about reconciliation between individuals, restoring parents and children, knowing that the promise is that John the Baptist was raised up to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And it made a difference. We live in a world that is just forlorn over all the bad news that we are hearing and our hearts are saddened as we think of this tragedy that took place in Texas and people are fumbling and saying, what can we do about this? We have the message of the gospel. We have a message that talks about how God can transform the life of an individual. That's the whole theme of the book of Ephesians. You were like this, but now like this. We need to speak up in a winsome way, in a kind way, in a gracious way. We need to say, God is the answer. And when the world accuses us of being people of inaction, for all you do is pray, and even when Christians accuse us of inaction because all you do is pray, just remember. Prayer is the most important thing you can do. That's not to say that we should not act as well, but never relegate it to insignificance. All we can do is pray. People, we can pray, and God hears our words, and God acts on our words. And God delights in our words and in our praise, in our glorification of him. And we will be a soothing balm 
on a hurting world, the more we glorify the Lord Jesus, the more we raise him up and reveal him to be this gracious, loving Savior who died so that we could be reconciled to God and be a new and changed people. Number two, the Holy Spirit will teach us what we are to say. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you are to say. Primary emphasis is on persecution and having the right words to say. Well, let me just encourage you that, that we can broaden that application. For there are so many instances in which we don't know what to say. What do you say to a person who's lost their loved one? What do you say to a parent whose infant child is very ill? What do you say? What do you say? We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us what to say. To give us the spiritual maturity. To be sensitive. To want to be of help. And convey thoughts that are comforting and true about the faithfulness of our Lord and his promise to help us to never leave us nor forsake us, to only do what is just and right and holy and loving. And you can trust him in this bleak and difficult hour. For our God is trustworthy. And your words can be of great help. Let's pray. Almighty God, we Thank you and ask, Lord, that you would help us in our speech. Help us to convey to one another that which is helpful, constructive, as opposed to that which is harmful and destructive. Lord, may our word not spread as a gangrene, but may it be a healing bomb that brings an end to strife and division and turmoil and heartache. Lord, guard our hearts and minds. Help us, we pray, for we know it's not in us, but by your grace and by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, you can produce this fruit in us. And we desire to be your instruments of grace. Use our words to impart your grace to others. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.